Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Ephesians. Enjoy the message. The rest of us, if you have a Bible, you can open it too. Where are we? Ephesians. Well done. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're busy preaching through this magnificent book, uh, Paul's letter to the church in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, this uh, ancient city which uh, stands on a hill uh, bearing witness that this book itself is uh, historical and not just theological. Uh, As we plunge the depths of the theological realities of it, we must remember that this is a historically verifiable city that even is with us till today. And so we're jumping in at verse 17 of chapter 4, and Paul is continuing his uh, discussion regarding the nature and the character of the church. And so we pick up in verse 17 through to verse 24. Paul then says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way You learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Just up to there. Paul has been discussing two very important themes in chapter 4. He begins with this theme of unity, the unity of the church. And he presents to us God as the one to whom we've been called God firstly called us, and then we are called to be like God. And then he gives us this example of both the unity of God himself being one, one God, but yet three persons. And so he introduces this wonderful concept of unity and diversity, that we don't need to all be exactly the same, that in the church we can be different, but we can be unified. And we identified that that's actually a very important message, not only for the church, but for the world. For this world that is so divided, this world that is so broken, this is actually a very powerful message that we can be different and we can celebrate differences. We can celebrate diversity. We can celebrate race and culture and be one. We can be together. We can even, listen to this, we can even disagree with each other and be unified. And so Paul presents this vision of both unity and diversity. And then he begins to drip in a third dimension, and that is purity. 
unity, diversity, and purity. And we said that in God, we see all three dimensions. We see unity, God is one. We see diversity, God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we also see that God is holy, God is pure. And so we see the purity of God, and the implication is the church also should be pure. And so he now breaks into a discussion about the distinctiveness of the church and that we are called to be different. We are called to be a holy people, a people like God in unity, a people like God in diversity, and a people like God in our holiness. And so just by way of reminder, in verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And, and look at the, the emphasis there. The emphasis is, I want you to do something positive. I want you to walk in a particular way. I want you to live. Paul's analogy here of walking is to actually live it out. I want you to walk in a particular way, in a manner worthy. There's a positive tone here, isn't there? He's, he's, he's engaging regarding things we must do. Things we must do. But notice now in verse 17, our text for today, and if we put these two verses next to each other, they have a similar introduction. He says, now, now this I say and testify in the Lord. So at first he's the prisoner for the Lord. In other words, he's speaking with apostolic authority. This isn't a negotiable. This isn't, well, we could pick and choose what Paul is saying as maybe it's from God, maybe not. No, not at all. This is apostolic authority, and he says it again in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, this is God speaking, that you must no longer walk. So in verse 1, it's positive, you must walk a particular way, and now it's you must no longer walk. It's a negative tone. So there are certain things we must do, verse 1, and there are certain things, verse 17, that we must not do. He goes on, he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's commenting on this particular passage, and I'd highly recommend his commentaries on Ephesians. It's only eight volumes. Uh, He says this. He says, the great concern of the New Testament is not the size of the church, but the purity of the church. And if you do kind of zoom out of the New Testament and you look at Paul's writings and Peter's writings and James's writings, we see there that that actually is the concern. They're not really concerned about numbers. They really are concerned about maturity, the maturity of the church, the purity of the church. So what is he saying in these few verses regarding a worthy walk? What are the positives? What are the negatives? We're going to look at it under three headings. Firstly, we're going to look at what we must put off, then we must look at what we must put in, and then we must look at what we must put on. Number one, put off. Look at this in verse 22. Paul says this, to put off your old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former, your past, your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul is clearly using in this passage the analogy of being clothed. We are very familiar with this type of life. 
a lot of our lives revolve around clothing, believe it or not. Such a mundane, kind of common practice, but we've built temples to supply us with clothing. And we visit these temples regularly called shopping malls. And we go and bow in these temples and we offer worship in these temples and we sacrifice in these temples. And we buy clothes that we don't need. And so Paul uses this analogy of being clothed. He says we must put on certain things. But right here he's saying, no, before you put stuff on, put off. There are certain things you must put off. Put off your old way. Your old self. It belongs to your old life. And so the the point here is quite interesting because he's speaking to Christians. He's writing to Christians. And in many ways, that's already happened. If you've become a Christian, then you've forsaken your old life. And so what's introduced here is not the doctrine of justification because justification is a once-off moment where God declares you to be just. He forgives you. And in that moment, you are forgiven. And you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is the outworking of your justification. So although it's done, and although you are saved, and you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, there is still a sanctifying process that every single one of us are engaged in. There's still a wrestling with this old self, the old way of life. And that's called sanctification. So justification is God declaring us just and right with God. And then sanctification is the process of us living that out. And so we are to put off our old way of life. In verse 17, he explains this old self in a rather unique way. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And so there was obviously a, you know, remember the derogatory kind of moment and uh, posture towards the Gentiles from the Jews, and it was a particular lifestyle that he had in mind. Notice that he says, don't walk like them. Don't walk like them. It was a lifestyle. He goes on and talks about the Gentiles in verse 18 and 19. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. John Stott commenting on this passage. He says, this downward spiral moves from hardness of heart to darkness of heart to deadness of heart. And it really is a a downward spiral. And I think if we look at the world around us and we look at how dark it is, and we look at how dead it is, we can identify that there really is, in many parts of our city, in many parts of our world, there is darkness. And the darkness is due to wickedness. And the wickedness, Paul's saying here, is not outside of us. This is the the blow to human nature. The blow to human nature is that this darkness is actually inside us. People are not essentially good. 
people are actually essentially bad. Yes, there are elements of goodness in people. We're made in the image of God. But essentially, people are fallen. And he gives us an example here. Darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorance, hardness of heart, callous, given over to sensuality, greed. We think of what fuels most sex trafficking and the porn industry and corruption. It's greed, hardness of heart, and all kinds of impurity. In chapter 5, Paul's going to address this particular issue which is part of our former life. It's, this shouldn't be what it looks like amongst the Christian church. In verse 3, he says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And so in terms of putting off, it's very clear that the focus here is not on warding off, You know, warding off all the ugliness outside of me. No, no, the problem's inside. I need to put it off. I need to do some internal auditing. I need to search my own heart. And I need to call upon the Lord and His Spirit to help me put it off. I need to realign my life with what Christ has done for me. And so, in other words, what He's saying here is that this old way of life cannot be dry cleaned. This, this coat that you used to wear, it's kind of like you put it back on. And, and that old coat that you once loved, I just want to say to you, it really doesn't suit you anymore. It looks really bad on you. It makes you look horrible. Get rid of it. Don't try and fix it. Get rid of it. It's completely out of fashion. You're now a a Christian. Stop living like you used to live. There's a change. Christ has changed you. Live like that. Charles Spurgeon says, I believe that the one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And so we need to put it off. We need to put it off. The second thing that he emphasizes in this passage is not only do we put certain ways and certain practices and certain habits off and away from ourselves, but actually... The way in which we do that is by putting other things in. One of the best ways to put old life and sinful practices off is to put the right stuff in. So he says in verse 23, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now that's a really interesting phrase. It's kind of like, Paul, is it, is it spirit or is it mind? Or where are we to do the renewing? Are we, is the renewing happening in our spirit or is it happening in our minds? And theologically, people can get into knots around this. And people come up with different versions of trichotomy and dichotomy. And I just want to suggest to you that the Bible uses spirit and heart and mind interchangeably. Please don't be dogmatic on it. For example, in the Proverbs, it says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I thought we think with our minds. For as a man thinks in his 
heart so easy. And there are many examples of this. That, that, the, that the point Paul's trying to make is that it's your core. This is the essence of who you are. The spirit of your minds and the heart of your mind and the thinking in your heart. It's really just the central functioning of your being. Which sometimes is your heart and sometimes your mind and sometimes your spirit. And so he's a call here to put in certain things. To receive from the Lord. To put in certain things. Convictions. Now, the emphasis is really important because what he's trying to say to us is that behavior comes from belief. Every single one of you, if you're trying to change your behavior, you need to change firstly your belief concerning that behavior. Because if you think it's okay to do what you're doing and you've got a belief system as to why that's okay, you will carry on doing that. But if you change your belief about what you're doing and you realize that what you're doing is wrong and displeasing and worthy of condemnation, then you have motivation because you've changed your belief about it to stop. So actually, if we want to change conduct, we first got to change convictions. We've got to put in the right convictions. R.C. Sproul says this, he says, mindless Christianity is no Christianity at all. You can't love what you don't know. And that operates on a couple of levels. At a worship level, we can't love God if we don't know this God that we're trying to love. But at a sanctification level, it also becomes very powerful. That we need to feed ourselves. We need to renew our minds so that we can live and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Notice that that's where the emphasis is regarding the Gentiles. They were darkened in their understanding. They were futile in their minds. But then he shows the contrast to the Christian in verse 20. He says, but that's not the way you, what? You learned Christ. You see, it's. It's something we've received. It's information. It's a renewal of our thinking. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so there is truth that needs to come in. And so in order to put off an old way of life, in order to put off old habits, in order to put off sinful ways, we need to put in truth. And the truth expels the deceit. The disordered desires of our hearts. Truth dispels the disordered desires. But truth is not just out there, remember. Truth needs to come in. And we, there's far too many people who know truth, but they don't know it, right? There's a difference between knowing truth about truth and actually it coming on the inside. So you need to put it in. Don't just know it, put it in. Now what I wanted to say here is this, this is actually really important because there's a battle that's happening around truth. And it's a very important battle that we need to understand. And I think that the, the stakes are escalating at a rapid rate. Do you know that um, it was shortly after World War II that a huge shift took place in our world. 
not only was there the, you know, the industrial revolution and, uh, you know, came with, came with it was, was huge wealth and, and expansion and, you know, nations were growing again and borders were being transformed and, and, uh, and, and with all of this came the rise of information. And I want to just suggest to us that part of the shift that happened after World War II was a shift in military power. You see, because no longer would the world tolerate hard power. Now, hard power is what we refer to when we talk about weapons, warfare, bombs and guns and all those kinds of things. That's hard power. And hard power was now frowned upon. I mean, you can imagine after World War I, World War II, no one's going to tolerate it anymore. And so hard power would, would never disappear because there is still power related to hard power. But there was a, a new power that emerged that was called soft power. And soft power has taken us unawares. Because soft power is not military might, it's ideas and images. The power of ideas and the power of images is destroying people's lives. Far more powerful than guns and bombs. Because guns and bombs are kept in safe places most of the time. But the power of ideas and images is in our homes. It's on our screens. It's in our hands 24-7. You see, the rise of ideas and images has flooded the public space. And the problem is these are not good ideas and these are not good images. The ideas and the images that have flooded the culture are either bad ideas, which are sometimes easy to identify. Those are okay because you can go, that's a bad idea. The ones we've got to be careful of are the fake ideas. And this is rife in our world today. It's absolutely right. Fake news and disinformation is a power that is almost out of control. And it is destroying people's lives. And so between ideas and images, visual images, you know, those, those things that you see on social media where you're like, oh, I wish I could live that guy's life. And there's this image of the guy on the beach and he looks so happy. But you know how many selfies he had to take to get that? And how many filters he had to put on to get that? And, and we've developed this world where our whole lives are bombarded with ideas and images that are beginning to shape our lives to our detriment. Because we begin to measure what we've got according to these ideas and images. Church, it's, it's incredibly dangerous. And under this point of put in, we need to put in truth, not what we've been sold. And we've been sold a lot of stuff. Dallas Willard, in the book that he's written called Renovation of the Heart, 
he speaks a lot about this thing about ideas and images. And he says this. He says, ideas and images are the primary focus of Satan's efforts to defeat God's purposes with and for humankind. When we are subject to his chosen ideas and images, he can take a nap or a holiday. Thus, when he undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, hard power, but with an idea, soft power. It was with an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own on her own to secure her own well-being. You see, Satan has weaponized ideas and images. And I want to suggest to us that the third world war is already upon us. The war for our hearts and the war for our minds. Ideas and images, our children, listen to me, our children are being destroyed through a flood of fake ideas and images that are shaping their lives, that leave them anxious, that leave them depressed, that leave them confused. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they should be. It's time that we put back in. Yes, we've got to put off, but we need to put in. And part of putting in, I want to suggest to us, is put down the phone. Put it down. Put it away. Because it's a source. It's a source of wickedness. Ideas and images that are flooding your brains, that are warping your minds, that are confusing you, that are creating this world that creates anxiety in you that you don't even know. We've got to put it down. And we've got to put truth back in. And you might be going, oh, but I listen to podcasts on my phone, so I can't put it down. Well, find something else to listen to, another way. Yes, it can be a tool for good, but, but guys, this isn't, just, this isn't just gaming anymore. This is warfare. And the marketers and the social media outlets, they are leveraging this. They're not just doing it for fun. There's capital gain behind it. There's capital gain behind it. Capitalism is what is behind this. It's what's driving it. And it's destroying people's lives. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Finally, Paul says, put on. How do we put it off? Well, firstly, you put good stuff in, put certain things down, and then put certain things on. Verse 24, and put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, what Paul's calling us to here is not to earn salvation. That's already happened. He's not saying put on salvation. He's saying work out salvation. Because you can't put on salvation. Salvation is received. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, we've spoken about it. Salvation is received. Chapter 4, verse 7 
grace was given. We receive the grace of salvation, but then we work it out. What we put on is the salvation we receive. Put on your new self. Put it on. Clothe yourself in your new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Kent Hughes, he says, our job is not to weave the new self, but to wear it. To wear it. And so church, we must not just put off the old. Notice that he doesn't just leave it at put it off. No, there's certain things we must put in and other things we must put on. In order to get rid of the old way, the old manner of life, we have to put in and put on. And so the goal is Christ-likeness. Look at how it ends. It says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so that's the vision. It's purity. It's to be more like God, to be more like Christ. And I just want to close with, with some thoughts around this ending phrase in righteousness and holiness. Because sadly, there have been extremes in the church. When it comes to holiness, uh, there are two extremes. One is that people tend towards fundamentalism, where everything is bad. And you just need to get rid of everything. And there are certain movements, certain church movements, certain religious movements that have opted for that option. No coffee, no TV, no lots of things. Even within Islam, they have certain restrictions on, you know, you can't eat certain things. And even in Judaism, there's, there's certain things that are forbidden. And so is that the Christian way? where we just make rules and we become fundamentalists, religious fundamentalists, and we don't go here and we don't go there and we don't eat this and we don't drink that. But when you study the New Testament, actually we find that Christianity liberates us from fundamentalism. It liberates us from legalism, from living according to rules. Obviously, there's certain things that we don't engage in. That's the whole point of the sermon. And then the other extreme is liberalism. You've got fundamentalism, which lives by rules, and then you've got liberalism that has no rules. The other extreme, where it's just everything goes. And I just want to say on this particular point, you know, we've been celebrating the idea of unity and diversity. And when we talk about diversity, we just need to make a, a clarifying statement here. Because what, what the Bible means by diversity is not moral diversity. It's talking about ethnic diversity. And diversity of personality and diversity of gifting. Not moral diversity. It's not, oh, well, you can choose your sexual orientation or you can choose how to live out your sexuality and you can just do however you please. You can live how you please. Just feel free. You can kill people at will and you can live, you can be greedy and you can, you can t- uh, take advantage of people and abuse people. No, it's not moral diversity. We don't celebrate Moral diversity. The Bible restricts morality. That's what Paul's aiming at here. 
And so liberalism is also offsides, where it's everything goes. So fundamentalism is nothing's good, and liberalism is everything's good. Do as you please. I want to say, no, no, Christianity is, is, is different. Christianity is we submit to truth as revealed in Scripture, as, as interpreted correctly. Because everyone, the fundamentalists appeal to Scripture too, don't they? But they pick and choose, and they read it out of context. And so we need to, as a church, we need to be under Scripture and in Scripture. And Scripture needs to be in us and flowing through us. We must live in our cities. Yes, we must be distinct and different. Not weird, please. Let's not be weird. We can be normal. We can engage in culture. We can engage in arts. And we can engage in the city and be where people are without being who they are. Just like Jesus, friend of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is our model. If we look to him, we won't go wrong. The minute we look to people, the minute we look to religious books and groups and things, no, no. Put off the old way by clothing ourselves in Christ. He's our example. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for speaking to our hearts and minds today. And I pray that it would come and continue to come with conviction and comfort. For many of us, reality checks. Lord, we, many of us, we need to make some serious adjustments regarding our screen time. The power of ideas and images that are flooding our minds and shaping us without us even knowing. Father, help us to put these things off. Father, forgive us. For this is how the, the Gentiles live. This is the way of the world. We want to be different. We do not want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so help us, Lord, to put off sinful practices. Help us to fight them, Lord. We want to fight sin by putting in the right stuff. And by clothing ourselves with truth. Thank you that this is something we don't do alone. We do it with our brothers and sisters. With the church. And more importantly, with Jesus. As our model, supreme example. And our friend. And so Lord Jesus, help us in this battle. Help us to win this battle, we pray. Help us as a church to be unified and diversified and pure. I pray that we would represent you, Lord. That we would reflect you. That we would be shining examples of Lord Jesus to the world around us. 
Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.